Twins are creepy. I think we can all agree with that. Two people who look identical and in some weird cases even think identical is a bizarre occurrence in nature. In this case, twin brothers Elliot and Beverly Mantle are twin brothers and run a private gynecological practice together. They are well-respected in their field, with Elliot being the charming, romantic, exciting one, and Bev being the shy, reserved one that never embraces the spotlight. Elliot is a womanizer, and to spice things up, when he's finished with women, he gives them to Bev, who pretends to be his brother. It's a sick, twisted routine that ultimately falls apart when Bev falls in love, upsetting the entire dynamic and driving both brothers down a very dark path. We're back in Cronenberg's world today in the 1988 drama Dead Ringers. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And this is Filmgasm. Welcome to the Filmgasm podcast on this hopefully gorgeous Friday in May. This is our 82nd episode and our connector for The Brood. It was one of the few Cronenberg films available to us via streaming sites, so we took a shot. And I think there's enough weird here to talk about for a solid episode. We will see. As with The Brood, this was our first time with Dead Ringers. And uh, what are your initial thoughts? Uh, initial thoughts on Dead Ringers. Uh, really, really solid. Um, Cronenberg, really good at this. He's good at the opening credits. Really creepy music is always applied because he knows how to work with good composers and um you, you get a, you get a sense that you're in you know maybe not good hands but creepy hands <laughs> and that's that's the Cronenberg way but um as it progresses you obviously it's very creepy the content is pretty frightening at times and just so nasty and dark but I I, I don't know I'm still grappling with it and I think talking about it's gonna gonna help but Jeremy Irons I mean playing twins here is just to me undoubtedly the coolest thing he's done most impressive performance he's ever had that i've seen i, I know he's in a ton of movies i you know I, of course he's scar in lion king but um th this is just a lights out as both both uh both twins it's he's incredible he is incredible and i think my biggest issue with this is that he's the only thing that's incredible the rest of this movie really kind of suffers because I don't think Cronenberg knew what he wanted to do with this. There's not really enough horror to make it a, a horror movie. It's dramatic, but it's also like kind of a thriller. And it's, it's hard to nail down this movie. I, I found myself kind of zoning out through most of it, honestly. I, uh, I feel a little different. I don't know. Um, I'm trying. Cronenberg is someone I'm, I'm a little bit newer to than you. Uh, you saw The Fly you know, a long time ago, and I just saw it maybe two, three years ago. Of course, you know, I'm not talking more about the more recent stuff uh, from the 2000s, but more his kind of creepy, dark, you know, 70s and 80s era. The Brood, like you said, was uh, my first time, your first time, Dead Ringer, same thing. Um, I, I'm really trying to stay locked in. I, I don't know if I felt like I was zoning out more than I was mm, confused, but I, but, I, but I was so enticed by Jeremy Irons that I wasn't zoning out i don't know it's really hard to put put my put the sentence together to, to figure out how i feel about this movie and sometimes that's a good feeling but with, the, with this one like you said there's not a whole lot there as like substance other than jeremy irons just fucking going for it the entire time 
Um, I, I don't know. It's it's good. I think we do need to talk about it, which is what's great about this podcast. With such, some of these dark movies we talk about, it's good to kind of go through the plot and talk to you know someone who's seen it recently and, and kind of figure out how you feel about it because it, it's a weird one. Yeah, it is a weird one. And you know, admittedly, with Cronenberg, you expect a certain level of weird. Yeah. But this was just not the kind of weird I was expecting. Also, I had seen this build as a horror film from like th- through a bunch of different places. And this is no, not in no. the slightest a horror film. Uh, so Dead Ringers was directed by David Cronenberg, whom we talked at length about in Wednesday's episode on The Brood. It was based on the 1977 novel Twins by Barry Wood and Jack Geesland, which was a loose adaptation of the true story of real life twin gynecologists. Stuart and Cyril Marcus, who died together in 1975. It was a very weird story. They were gynecologists, twin brothers. One of them died of a drug overdose, and the other one was found dead in the same area with symptoms of a drug overdose, but no drugs in his system. Like, they literally like were together to the end. So strange. That's why you know tw- twins creep me out. <laughs> Because oh like yeah, of, of course, and it's it is an iconic thing to use in horror movies. Of course, it's a great like it's a great trope to use it to go to because it is creepy, and there's so many ways you can go with it. But yeah, I agree with you. This is not a horror movie. It is so experimental at times. Um, there's a dream sequence that is absurd and so mm-hmm. out there. Uh, and then you know, I think I think Cronenberg was you know trying to say something maybe about like <laughs> maybe about the medical field in some certain way. I think he always takes things to the extreme. Like we know the brood was, you know, loosely influenced, inspired by his divorce, you know? And so I think he takes these things and he really looks at them. And then he's like, how can I implement horror elements to them and creep the shit out of people, which the job, you know, well done. He got his job done, but this movie is not nearly as precise as what I've seen from him, uh, especially the fly and the brood. Those are such clean cut, perfect films that I know exactly what's going on. It surprises me along the way. But then here, the Dead Ringers, there's not really a payoff there, right? Because it no. doesn't freak, it doesn't really freak you out. It creeps you out and gets on your skin. But that's not so much something you want for an hour and 55 minutes as you want to be occasionally actually moved from your seat. And this movie does not do that. And I didn't really feel that creeped out. Like I, I didn't, I felt more disgusted. Yeah, by them, by their, yeah. like what they did, they're they're sickening people. Yeah, just yeah, they're. I mean, yeah, once you, like, find out what's going on, you're just like, this is this is ridiculous. Like, I, I don't like this one bit. I don't approve one fucking bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, the film stars Oscar winner Jeremy Irons as twin brothers Elliot and Beverly Mantle. Irons won his only Oscar for his performance in 1990's Reversal of Fortune, which I have not yet seen. I'm going to have to at some point. It's his Oscar winner. Yeah, same. I haven't seen that either. I, I mean, there's a lot because he's so much work, but... We'll get there. He's also known prominently as the voice of Scar in The Lion King and for his lead role as Rodrigo Borgia, a.k.a. Pope Alexander VI on Showtime series The Borgias. And he's been doing steady work for a very long time now. He was the bad guy in the 2003 Dungeons and Dragons movie. Let's not forget that. Hey, yeah, that's that's a big deal right there. Hey, those movies pay for, you know, houses and cars. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to do that. And in order to occasionally do something like uh, Inland Empire, which is one of my favorite movies that he was in with David Lynch in 06. He also did, uh, he was in Aragon. Yes, 06 as well, yeah. Oh my God, Jeremy Irons. 
I know him more from paycheck gigs than I do for like legit work. It's it's kind of sad. <laughs> Uh, recently he appeared as Alfred in, uh, the DCEU's, uh, Batman versus Superman and Justice League. And we don't, he wasn't really around long enough to form an opinion. A lot of characters in those films are, are like that. But, uh, I think given the right script, he could have been a great Alfred. Yeah, I agree. I I don't think it's like ever his fault that, that happens a lot where yeah it's just there's just not a lot there especially with the most recent dc um inputs true but i think andy circus is going to be a fantastic alfred yes be on the lookout the more i hear about that movie the more i get excited like the, the care and attention they're putting into that it's fantastic it just gets my gears going yeah i love it <laughs> next up oscar nominee jean vieve Bujold plays claire the actress who steals bev's heart Bujol was nominated for her performance in 1969's Anne of the Thousand Days, and she's done a lot of French films, and she's okay in this. Uh, actually, they're the most prominent characters in the film, so that's where we're going to stop with the cast. There's not really anybody else worth talking about. The, re- the movie follows the the two the twins and Claire. There's no not really any other important characters. No, again, this movie. If you're going to focus on just that, it's just far too long. Um, Jeremy Irons is great, but it's far too long to, to just be about those three people. True. Dead Ringers has an IMDb score of 7.3. Rotten Tomatoes score of 82%. It was a pretty hard bomb, grossing only $8 million on a budget of $13 million. Most of the film's praise went to Jeremy Irons' performance, which I have to admit is fucking phenomenal. <laughs> yes. And now let's get into the plot of this bizarre film. So we open in Toronto, 1954, where we meet Elliot and Beverly Mantle as young boys who are discussing sex and trying to learn about the female form way before they should be thinking about that. They've had sex on the brain literally since the beginning. <laughs> and they asked this one girl, their neighbor girl, if they'd have if she'd have sex with them in her bathtub. And she's like, you don't even know what fuck means. It's such a weird thing to hear a child say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a bizarre, what a bizarre way to open your movie with, again, with pretty strong opening credits and you know good score. You know, all right, here we go. And then you just yeah, this weird ass dialogue. We're like, all right, if that's in the middle of the movie, please ease us into that. <laughs> These two, yeah, like ten year old twins talking about sex, and they're both, they both look like fucking. Uh, minkus from uh boy meets world like what's going on man like god it's funny you should mention the score because that took me out of the movie big time the score the first time i heard too much at times well it was just at the beginning at howard shore's score during the credits i'm like this is not the score i was expecting for this kind of movie because i was still thinking this is going to be a horror film or a psychological thriller and i hear that score which sounds like not out of place in amadeus uh okay i had that yeah, that's true. I had the um, I, I watched it after you, so I read I re- had read your, your review already, and I knew your opinion on it. So I think I went into it with different expectations. Like I knew it wasn't gonna be a horror movie, you know. Yeah. So that that makes sense. Yeah. Well, after the credits, we go to uh, the brothers in college at Cambridge, working in a medical lab, and uh, one of them, I think Beverly, is using a tool that. He invented a retractor, and the the professor gets really angry with him. Like, 
you know, this would never work on a live student, on a live patient. And what are you doing? And then later we see that he's getting an award for inventing this revolutionary new uh, retractor that is now standard issue in all like doctor's offices in this area. <laughs> and it's the teacher who called him on it that gives him the award. <laughs> oh, satisfying. And uh, actually, no, that was Elliot because Elliot he enjoys the spotlight he goes to accept the award while beverly is in the in the dorm just kind of hiding he's not good with crowds he's not good with people that's why he's got elliot elliot is kind of like his face yes very very much so yeah as the movie moves along elliot is definitely ellie is the yeah yeah that it's it gets really creepy but elliot is definitely the face of of the two yep for sure um basically Elliot is Alfred Borden and Beverly is Fallon. <laughs> For those of you who know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Spoilers. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> oh, we got to do that movie someday. That's such a fantastic movie. <laughs> so we flash forward another 20 years and Beverly and Elliot now have a, uh, a gynecological practice where they get to look at all the vaginas they want. And they... <laughs> The way they – it's really actually pretty sick the way that Elliot – first off, that Elliot's even picking up women at this job is really disturbing and really unprofessional. But then that he gives the women to his brother when he's done with them, like not exactly a great way to endear yourself to these guys, <laughs> like to endear yeah. the audience to these guys. No, no, and, and yeah, such a ridiculous plot. Um, like, yeah, I mean he – Ellie is actually – doing exactly what what females don't want a male gynecologist for right yeah i would assume uh, when i told my girlfriend when i told brianna the plot of this movie she was like oh i would never have i would always have a female gynecologist like i would just never do that and she's like not even just for that reason but like that's so weird <laughs> oh man yeah this is a crazy oh, yeah. plot it's easily the weirdest job to take your work home with you that's for sure Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah, it is so bizarre and causes yeah some causes some fucking nightmares for them. Yeah. Well, one of the mantles, I don't remember which. It's really it's kind of if you're not paying very close attention, it, it's hard to kind of know who's who at a lot of these points. Yes. And uh, one of them is examining a patient, a movie star, Claire, and she has three openings in her uterus. It's a very rare condition. Basically means she's never going to have children. It's impossible. And that kind of devastates her. And the brothers tend to switch appointments just to kind of keep things interesting, I guess. And uh, Elliot's more aggressive and more outgoing and wants the spotlight. Beverly just wants to get his work done and hide. He doesn't care about being famous. He doesn't care about awards, recognition. He just wants he just wants to live. And uh, Elliot, who's been sleeping with Claire encourages beverly you got to try this one out it's really sick the way he talks about women yeah yeah jeremy irons you you would think if you weren't paying attention to the dialogue and you were you just like kind of heard his voice you'd think he's talking about the most prestigious thing but he's like oh after i'm done sticking it in how then you can have it. it's like what the fuck is going on what the fuck jeremy god <laughs> and to his, like to his credit, it's very clear these are two separate people. Like the way he plays their personalities, you can. Oh, you yeah, yeah. 
it's it's really great when they're arguing you can tell who's who you can see the differences in both of their in his performance in both of them it's pretty good pretty great i think it takes a lot out of an actor to play twins i mean we've i've seen it done you know a few times like you know the prestige legend the social network and it's very it's a very difficult thing to pull off <laughs> but some actors can do it and it's fucking great um jeremy irons is certainly one of those actors you and mcgregor and fargo it's, yeah he, he's so different in that one too oh man <laughs> But, this, uh, this, but yeah, this is like they have this kind of the same haircut. You know, they wear the same style of clothes. And then, yeah, you just got like, uh, I think I think Ellie has a little bit darker, uh, a little bit um, lower voice, a little bit lower tone. And, and Bev's a little little bit higher pitch. Not so much, though. You know, you got to really pay attention. It's crazy. Well, the reason they wear similar clothes and they act similar to one another at times is to maintain this kind of facade that they're one person. To the yeah. outside where a lot of their patients don't even know that they're twins specifically oh, yeah. so they can pull off this scam yeah and when ellie decides oh like this is a woman i want to like sleep with yeah he it's all about keeping only one of them in the room at the same time and it's like uh yeah it gets it, it's weird man yeah and beverly who you kind of expect to be the you know the the voice of reason the the good one the kind one he's been going along with this for years just so he can fuck around <laughs> yes yeah and when elliot tells him like you got to try out claire beverly's like well, i don't really want to be wild but you know this is what we do elliot's like yeah we share share and share alike it's always been like that elliot is very much in the camp of this is how it's always been why change it and beverly wants to be his own person and elliot goes to pretty crazy lengths to try to maintain this relationship it's really fucked up both of them yes <laughs> twins so beverly falls in love with claire and doesn't tell elliot about their night together and elliot does not like that they always share everything tension starts to build and beverly accidentally lets slip to claire one night that he has a brother and says you know that we're not that close and he gets really upset when she teases him and, and asks about her his brother and she thinks he's schizophrenic because of this like, you might have been mentally unbalanced. And he's like, I just don't want to talk about my brother. It's just... <laughs> Claire has lunch with a friend who tells her that, yeah, Beverly and Elliot are twins. You didn't know that? And Claire realizes she doesn't know which brother she's been fucking. Like, it could be anybody. <laughs> That's got to be a horrifying realization. Oh, that gosh. essentially you've been a game to two identical men. Like, yeah, you you've been yeah no I would, that's violation like you yeah that is so ridiculous you you're really messing with someone's mental space when you do something ridiculous like that. Yeah, extremely. But weirdly, that's not the reaction she has. Like at first, she gets upset, she freaks out, but she comes back to him. Yeah, this this character sucks. Yeah, that is a horribly written female character, man. Yeah, no she, woman would ever go back to this. Yeah, I can't. I can't stand. Yeah, we'll get there. I can't stand that she never really is like empowered and is like, "Fuck you guys." Yeah, like what? <laughs> Come on. Unless, unless this was a like a plan of hers to fuck them up. Maybe because yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll get we'll get there at the end. You have that phone call. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't think about that till just now, but there's a good chance this movie's manufactured by her. Huh. 
That makes this a lot better. <laughs> Get some hooked on drugs, yeah. Huh. Wow, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> so Claire goes to see uh, Elliot and Bev at lunch and tells them that she knows everything. She knows what they're doing. Beverly is horrified. Elliot thinks it's hilarious. She throws a drink in Beverly's face, storms off. Elliot's laughing his ass off. Like, well, I guess that one's done. Let's get another. And Beverly is sobbing. He, his heart is broken. And Elliot looks at him like, what the hell is wrong with you? We'll, we'll get another one. It's fine. Like, he doesn't understand why Bev is sad about this. He doesn't have a heart, the motherfucker. Like, it really is very much like, it's okay. Like, sorry you dropped your ice cream cone. We'll go get you another one. That's how Elliot sees this. Yeah. He's like, come on, man. We're gynecologists. We're some of the best gynecologists in the entire continent. What's, what are you doing? Jesus Christ. It's it's so disturbing. It, it Elliot, really is. Elliot is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> He's like cartoonishly out of touch and evil at times. Like that yeah. any human being would think like that. It's amazing. So at an award ceremony, uh, Elliot and Beverly are being recognized for their great contribution to the field of gynecology. And Elliot accepts the award and says, I'm sorry my brother couldn't be here tonight, but he is hard at work. And Beverly, drunk as a skunk, stands up from the back of the room and goes, no, I'm here. I'm here. And storms up to the stage and starts being extremely inappropriate and saying like, like the most wild shit just to rile them up. He said, I don't remember the exact line, but he says something about like, you know, like we get all the snatch we want or some shit like that. It was so horrible. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And yeah, he's like explaining like, I'm the, you know, I just do the work and he's the you know front man. And he hands it to me after I stick it and he's like, what's going on? It really is a, it really is though. Like it's like an Oscar worthy scene. Like Jeremy Irons is just on a different level. And Elliot tries to play it off like, oh, my brother's clearly had a lot to drink. He's very hard at work. Give him a round of applause, everybody. Yeah, he's celebrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone's like, uh, okay, <laughs> I guess. Psycho. <laughs> and uh, Elliot gets offered a job teaching, and uh, Beverly starts taking drugs. He starts taking uh, uppers. And uh, Beverly goes to see Claire, apologizes to her. And they they have they sleep together. Like, what the hell? Nope. No self-respecting woman would ever get herself back into that situation. I can't believe she didn't go to the cops. Like, I don't know. I never Claire, thought Claire is just a poorly poorly written and yeah character. I don't she's think not, she's not good. I don't think Cronenberg's particularly that good at writing women. I think they're very one-dimensional. Yeah, that's a good point. Because, yeah, even in The Brood, like, obviously that's a very big character, but she's just used as, like, an evil force. Nothing, she's like, bro- there's... Yeah. She's a literal broodmare. Yeah, like, yeah, her whole yeah. position in that movie is make the monsters. So she really is, like, more of a monster in that movie rather than, like, a human female, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know... It happens. Like, for example, in my work, I'm fucking shit at writing children. <laughs> I, I can't. I've tried. They always come across as insincere to me. Hmm. That's like, interesting. Nobody, you know, nobody's great at everything. Everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. 
Yeah, that's true. And, uh, and yeah, and again, Cronenberg, like, when you're in his hands, like, you don't quite know what you're going to get, and that's part of why you sign up for it. Yeah. So after uh, a night of passion, uh, Elliot has a nightmare about Claire trying to separate him from Elliot. Like, he has a nightmare of him and Elliot literally attached at the chest by, like, a, a tube of flesh and Claire biting it off. It's real. It's pure Cronenberg. Really fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, disgusting. And he wakes up like, ah, no. And uh, this just makes uh, encourages Bev to start taking more drugs. Yes. Elliot starts his new uh, his new work. He's a teacher. He's a lecturer. He's very re- well respected. He has sex with uh, twin prostitutes, telling one of them, "Call me Elliot," and the other, "Call me Bev." Whew. Jesus. Fucked up, man. The way this guy sees his brother is so disturbing. (laughs) God. And he shows up at Claire's movie set, tries to dissuade her from seeing Beverly, says, you know, this is not like this is not beneficial to you. He's my brother and you don't know him the way I do. And she says, she refuses to sleep with Elliot, says you're very different from Beverly. Elliot does not like that. He's always considered himself, you know, identical in not just looks, but in, you know, soul. And yeah. for a woman to tell, to point out the difference, fucks him up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Claire leaves town for contract negotiations. Bev continues to just drown himself in drugs. He calls Claire's hotel and... Uh, her secretary answers the phone. It's a man. And he thinks it's her lover that he's, that she's having an affair. And this destroys Beverly. And he tells Claire that, or he tells the secretary that she's, uh, she's, she has a mutation that she'll never have children, that her uterus is all fucked up. He's not a very professional doctor (laughs) to just launch into that shit. No, and it's it's the guy, the guy on the phone. Like he's just like, who the hell are you? It's hilarious. Like who's this fucker? And Claire never really bothers to to patch this up. Like she stays on the set for weeks and just lets Bev suffer, which you know adds credence to the idea that she's trying to you know destroy these brothers for what they did to her. Who knows? Beverly's work begins to suffer. He's um, is really kind of I was freaked out a bit when he um, he's having the surgery and he's like struggling to even hold the knife. And he like faints on the patient and cuts her by accident. And the, the other doctors are like, get him out of here. Like, Not they, to mention their crazy costumes. <laughs> yeah, like the red surgical, uh, the red yeah. scrubs. So that was weird. weird. That reminded me a lot of Eyes Wide Shut. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I agreed. And I was like, what's, is this an orgy or surgery? Dude, with this, I, it could have been, it could have been both. With both, yeah. This was going. <laughs> Jesus. Ah, Cronenberg, God. <laughs> so he, uh, he gets censured by the board. And uh, Elliot goes to cover up for him. But the board knows it's, it's Elliot. They know what he's up to. And they don't buy it. They revoke Beverly's licensed, and the bo- they're forced to, co- to close their practice. And before this, 
Beverly goes to a metalsmith, like an artist in a gallery, and gives him sketches for medical tools to deal with mutations. Some, like, weird-looking dark shit. And uh, Elliot's taking more drugs. His secretary quits. Oh, and yeah, during... he tries to, Bev tries to operate with one of these tools. Like, he is using it on a woman, and she's saying, you know, it hurts. And he's like, well, it's because you're mutated. Like, he's Duh. really fucked up. <laughs> it's because you're mutated. It's not weird. You're weird. Yes, yeah, sir. I just came in for a checkup. My vagina is totally fine. You have three. Yeah. Just, ah, crazy. Lying to, the, lying to these poor women, man. It's ridiculous. Can you imagine having this son of a bitch as a dentist? <laughs> oh, Jesus. No, no. You have four rows of teeth, you goddamn mutant. <laughs> Somebody get me the handmade drill. <laughs> you don't need your tongue anymore. <laughs> God crazy, damn. <laughs> crazy shit. Uh, so <laughs> Elliot continues to date and like live his life. He tries to get his brother to just you know embrace his happiness. They go dancing and uh, they they go dancing with Elliot's girlfriend Carrie. And they start dancing intimately, and Beverly realizes they're trying to seduce him into a three-way. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. <laughs> he... God, dude. <laughs> this movie's right. fucked. The more I talk about this, the more this is very fucked. Yeah, yeah. It's it's absurd. He, uh, Beverly tries to run. He breaks away, but he falls over, collapses, overdose. Rush to the hospital, and... Uh, Elliot says he managed to get him in there without admitting the drug problem and says that he's going to get Beverly clean. No one's going to know about the drugs. And Beverly is locked in a clinic to dry out. But then Elliot starts abusing drugs pretty badly. Carrie says he's becoming like Beverly. And Elliot explains he's doing this to get synchronized with Beverly. They have to be identical. This is very important to Elliot. God. Claire gets back after like a fucking month and <laughs> straightens finally straightens out the mix up with her secretary, tells Beverly like, oh, that was my secretary. He's a man. But Beverly's already way beyond fixing. <laughs> and um, he, he has trouble getting out of the clinic. He's desperate to see her. And on the way, he sees that art exhibit that he went to. Uh, he went to the metalsmith and all his tools are there. It's an art exhibit. Tools, gynecological tools for mutations. And he just straight up walks in and steals them. <laughs> yeah. Except for, the, he like leaves three and that, that lady is like, sir, what are you doing? These have already been purchased. He's like, they're mine. How? <laughs> and Both she's like, sir, sir, they're not yours. And he's just like, ugh. <laughs> takes a handful of fucked up gynecological tools. <laughs> These are not toys. They're not <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so he goes to Claire's, tries to get her to get him a, a prescription for him. She doesn't. And uh, when Beverly returns to the clinic, he finds the office completely trashed. And Elliot is in the shower with clothes on, completely wasted out of his mind on drugs. And this is where it's kind of hard to separate the two because they're both really fucked up. <laughs> and they agree they're going to kick the habit on Monday. So that means like the weekend they're going to just have a bender. And uh, 
Elliot starts talking like a child. And uh, he says, like, I want ice cream. <laughs> it's, it's so weird. Uh, yeah. It, uh, I don't know what planet Jeremy Irons is on at that point. Like, wh- what's going on? <laughs> and Beverly, like, they start talking. Earlier they were talking about Siamese twins. Uh, these Siamese twins named Chang and Ang, who uh, had a very strange death. And uh, it was in, like, the, Barnum, the uh, P.T. Barnum times, you know, like, freak show, that kind of thing. And one of them had a heart attack in his sleep and died. And then when the other one woke up and saw that his tw- his twin, his conjoined twin, had died, he died of fright. <laughs> like, you know, twins to the end, death at the same time. It's it's weird, but that happens a lot. Yeah. And uh, Beverly, with this in mind, begins to operate on his brother, using the weird tools he designed, trying to separate them as if they were Siamese twins. So he is just drilling into Elliot's chest, just like bleeding him out. And he wakes, Beverly wakes up and finds Elliot disemboweled and immediately is like, okay. He packs up a bag, gets cleaned up, leaves to make a phone call to Claire. But when she asks who's calling, he hangs up. And dazed, he walks back upstairs to where Elliot's body is, collapses, holds his brother, and just kind of loses himself. It's implied that he's probably going to die very soon here. Yes. And that's the end of the movie. It's weird. There's no point. <laughs> like, like there's, there's no plot, really. You're just kind of watching these two brothers just fuck each other's lives up the whole time. Yeah, yeah. It's just a snippet into these guys' lives. And how they spiral like way out of control, and that's it. You don't like we brought up earlier. Maybe Claire like wanted them to start getting each other fucked up. That's why she was gone for so long. Uh, that's why she stayed away. And she's like, oh, they're on fucking heroin. And, you know, they'll they're gonna keep chasing the drugs at this point. And that's like what it becomes. And it's super bleak, and it just ends. And you have no idea like. Was he actually going to do anything? Was he ever, you know, was Beverly actually going to, you know, call Claire and do anything about this? Probably not, because he's always with his brother and always, like, following in his footsteps, and they're, like, the same person. So, yeah, it's very bleak. Well, it got to the point where neither one of them could exist without the other one. They needed each other. Like, even when Elliot dies, by Beverly's hand, Beverly has no clue how to handle that. He doesn't grieve. He doesn't freak out. He just shuts down. He has no way to to like to process this it's weird and uh i'm still gonna give dead ringers a seven i think jeremy irons absolutely kills it but i just i don't think cronenberg knew what kind of movie he wanted to make i expected a thriller it was a straight-up drama kind of strangely experimental and uh yeah just i don't know if it's the kind of thing i'd watch again i i don't know seven yeah uh, yeah, I think I'm I think I'm in the same boat. I think I give it a seven as well. Now I will say, you know, we're obviously both really into Iron's performance. I, like if I'm making a list, it's number one. Like it's my favorite thing he's ever done. And for that, this movie has has some weight to it. You know, has some. Uh, there's like a reason to watch it if you love Jeremy Irons. But uh, yeah, I don't recommend this movie. Um, it's certainly not the Cronenberg I would point someone in the direction to to like, hey, check that one out. Uh, oh, no. like, like you said, it doesn't really know what genre it wants to be. I would also point to probably jo- uh, drama, but again, very experimental and very just just off the wall. And at, at times, 
I think you mentioned earlier, you know, you, you like get zoned out and confused. It's just kind of boring at times because it's more of the same of these two brothers fucking each other up. And there's not a lot of like redemption or positivity in that. It's I think the movie's just a little too long for that kind of thing. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, Cronenberg might have been just a little confused, but, you know, he is a fantastic creator. And, you, you know, sometimes you just don't hit all all you know, on all movies. Yeah, but prior to this, you know, like in The Brood, for instance, we do get a redemption arc on a despicable character. Yeah. No, The we Brood get... definitely knew what it was doing. Yeah. Yeah. We got that later on with a history of violence and Eastern promises. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's good at stories. I just think that he dropped the ball with Dead Ringers. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a mess. It's just not like a total hit like uh, most of his movies that we have seen are. Yeah. It's, uh, it's disappointing. I was hoping for this to be really mind-blowing but you know you can't win them all not every no. movie is going to be a masterpiece no and yeah yeah you, you gotta you know continue watching and stay committed and again uh, again yeah I, I, jeremy irons uh <laughs> there's there's not not much more we can say other than yeah he's just uh fucking fantastic in this movie true and that's uh that's all for this week listeners sorry about the shorter episode but the movie just really doesn't have a lot going for it i got a question for you yeah uh, aside from The Brood and Dead Ringers, what's like a good movie you've watched in the past week? Hmm, past week. I Last night, I watched uh, Swiss Army Man. Oh, yeah. Let me hear your opinion on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that a very, very bizarre movie. But wildly inventive and entertaining. I um, That ending was a gut punch. <laughs> I know, man. I know. I was not expect. I was expecting something to happen, like something was up, but I did not expect that. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. What a what a like kind of makes uh, Paul Dano into kind of a monster. Yeah, Paul Dano is really good in that movie. Really good. Oh yeah, and Radcliffe ain't no slouch either. No, they're both great. They're it's they a really interesting duo. Um, yeah, similar in age, but just much different. Uh, they're their careers have taken totally different paths and it's just cool to see them kind of meet in that kind of spot, making a, making a strange film like that. Yeah. Well, it's very much like a, it's the smartest movie about fart jokes I've ever seen. Oh yeah. I mean, you like, it like becomes the yeah, part of the film. It's crazy. I can't believe that the whole time I was watching it, I was like, why do I like this? This is, you couldn't sell this to anybody. I know. <laughs> but... I know. <laughs> I know. And then another film that I watched, I love the music. The music yeah. was so good. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. so cheerful and upbeat. And like, I love the lyrics. I had the subtitles on, so I saw the lyrics of yeah, the yeah. song. It's absurd. I saw that movie in theaters. It was so much fun. I had a blast with that movie. <laughs> I'm glad I watched it. There's a lot of indie films I, I haven't tackled, and I'm, I'm glad I'm doing this kind of Netflix clear you know, clearance sale thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like tonight's uh, foray is a 2016 Western called The Duel. Nice, nice. I have not seen that one. I would love to, though. Woody Harrelson and Liam Hemsworth. Uh, I'm about half hour into it. It's not bad. It's got uh, elements of. Um, have you ever seen Colonia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reminds me a lot of that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll religious, probably check that out someday. Religious compound full of zealots who don't like outsiders, that kind of thing. So. Yeah. Could be good. The reviews are fucking terrible, but you know, I won't judge a movie till I've seen it. Yeah. Speaking of uh, terrible reviews, uh, Capone has gotten. Oh, yeah. Oof. What a bummer, man. I was, I was hoping it was going to be at least decent, but shit. 
That was yeah, attacked. Um, oh, what's that guy's name? The director, uh, Josh. Um, Josh Trank. Yeah, I mean, uh, have you seen Chronicle? I liked Chronicle a lot. I, 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 I love Chronicle. I think it'd be a great yeah. episode one day. Oh, but for fantastic, sure. Fantastic Four, whether it was his fault or not, is a complete shit show. And he's been in like that weird director's jail for like the past five years. And um, this ain't gonna help. <laughs> no, no, it's, it really sucks. But I also admire. I haven't, I haven't seen it. You know, I, I plan on watching it at some point because I, I do really like Tom Hardy. I think, I think him like kind of you know putting the makeup on and you know, ugh, I, I think we've seen that before. But I, I do think he's great and it's worth like I, it's worth watching it for that uh, and forming my own opinion. But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty disappointing because it seems like it's just taking a route that isn't very exciting. Like the movie's kind of boring is what people are saying. And that sucks because Al Capone's such a, you know, lights up uh, figure. And, in, in, uh, you know, as far as mobsters go, he's one of the most famous ones of all time. So you would like to see more more of his younger days. But apparently it's all about his dementia. And I, I don't know. That's just not really the route I, w- I would like to see. Yeah, I agree. It is a weird route to take. I don't have... a. I don't have a lot of respect for Josh Trank, specifically with how he handled the Fantastic Four fallout. Yeah. That, that movie was so, so, so bad. But he went on Twitter and blasted it and said, it's not my fault. None of it. My movie was good. Like, you can't do that shit. <laughs> you can't shoot yourself in the foot, at, like, you know, in Hollywood like that and expect to bounce back. So I don't think he's the kind of guy who stands by his mistakes, because I doubt you could turn that shit show into a good movie if you had 100 years. Yeah, agree, agreed. And yeah, he's got to be delusional a bit at this point. So, yeah. But again, Chronicle was great. <laughs> yes, Chronicle is a cool movie. Good cast. Uh, really cool idea. Yeah. And maybe maybe I'll shell out the 10 bucks, rent Capone, just to satisfy my peace of mind. But uh, honestly, I'm in no hurry. Yeah, me neither. I'm not I'm not rushing. And, you know, that's that's where it gets interesting where we are right now with um, with movies is you want to respect, you know, the craft. You want to give that ten dollars to it and form your own opinion. But because everything is on streaming right now and everything is there, there are so many opinions on the Internet (laughs) about it that you're just kind of like, ah, it makes it hard to get up for it when you already see that four point seven IMDb score, you know. Whether you want to form your own opinion or not, you know that's in the back of your head. Like, damn, that's bad. Like, I can deal with, like, a 6.0, you know, because a lot of my favorite movies have, like, 6s on IMDb. But 4.7 is, I think, what Capone has right now is, is bad. Jesus. Yeah, that's embarrassing. I mean, that's, that's like, <laughs> Jersey Shore bad. That's, like, what they give Jersey Shore episodes. So, I just, you know, that, that's not good. Like, <laughs> That's Cats bad. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually going to look up Cats just for reference real quick. But, um... <laughs> I did want to mention a movie that I think you would adore that I watched recently um, called Murder by Contract Okay. from uh, 1958. Just clean cut movie. Oh, my God. Cats has a 2.7. Fuck. Uh, yeah, that's really bad. Yeah, but uh, Murder by Contract is uh, is really good. <laughs> <laughs> awesome movie from the 50s. Uh, I think the reason you would adore it is partly because it's extremely entertaining and very short, very easy to watch. But it's um, w- when I was doing some research on it, it is Martin Scorsese said it's the most influential movie of his entire life. Is that that's, so? That's a pretty that's a pretty bold statement. Can you imagine pointing to one movie and be like, that's the movie that influences me more than any other? That's like that's a big, deep, deep, reflective thing to say. Especially <laughs> uh, from a director like that. 
Exactly. Yeah. For me, who cares? But Martin Scorsese, like, you know, that's a big deal. And when I read that, I was like, oh, that's that's pretty fascinating. I can see why <laughs> um, you got this character who is just the precursor to everything. I mean, Vince Edwards plays uh, his name's Cloud and he's a obviously a contract killer and he just represents cool like he his haircut, the way he dresses. He doesn't use necessarily use like weapons when he kills people like a gun he does it in very strange ways and he's super confident about how he operates and you know does his job and treats it just like business and you can just see all of Scorsese's characters the way they talk is like oh my god like yeah I see it like that's really cool and I love connecting those dots within film history especially being a score you know I am a Scorsese fan so it's just fun doing that and I highly encourage you to watch it because I think you might like it more than I do <laughs> hell yeah that sounds awesome Absolutely. Speaking of fantastic movies, I watched a movie this past week that I've been I've been thinking about nonstop. It was fucking yeah. incredible. End of Watch. Dude, oh, thank, okay. I was hoping that's the one you would bring up because I read your review and I know you gave it a nine, which I would give it a nine as well. Um, oh man, talk about a cop movie that brought me to like little boy tears, little boy tears at the end. Oh my god, the dude! Breathtaking stuff from Jake Gyllenhaal. Without a doubt. The whole movie, I'm thinking, like, Gyllenhaal's going to snap on somebody. He's a crooked cop or something. But, no, he's a good goddamn man <laughs> the whole time. They both uh, are. Yeah, yeah, man. And, yeah, Michael Pena's no fucking slouch either. But just that, you know, spoiler alert, <laughs> just that final scene at the funeral when he can't speak. Ooh, man. Like, Jake Jake just brought it to a different level. Um, the fact that he survived that, I couldn't oh, believe it. Dude, dude, dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, yeah he's a good he's a cool cop he's like a cop that i'm like all right if there's if that's 90 percent of the police force okay i support you guys but it's just not true yeah, uh, most of the time they're like you know they don't even they don't shoot anybody they they arrest they subdue i mean the guy you know that one guy in the truck like pulls his gun out and pena doesn't shoot him like no no yeah he's he just is like a badass cop and he's like we got Liberace's ak <laughs> that movie should be taught in the police academy as like the way to conduct yourself as an officer. Yeah. I love that bit when they're, they're going into the territory of these nasty, nasty people uh, in the Los Angeles area. And uh, you know, there's loud music going and people are smoking and drinking everywhere. And they're obviously there for bigger fish, you know, <laughs> Jake and Michael, but he, I, I just, Jake has this way, you know, I, I, I love him. So I, tr I like really pay attention to every little thing he does when he walks into that backyard and he sees a guy smoking, he's like, put that shit out. And you're like, that, yeah, you're like, yeah, like he's not going to be that douchey cop who's like, oh, I'm going to make this little arrest so I can like be big boy on the block. And, you know, like because this guy's smoking weed on public. No, he like, fuck you, dude. Be respectful of me. You can smoke that shit when I leave. Let me talk to this bitch over here because that's who I want to talk to. I love it. I fucking love it, man. End of Watch is a very, very good movie. I was shocked that you hadn't seen it yet because it's so far up your alley. I know. There's certain movies that I know I'm going to love them. I just never got around to it. And End of Watch yeah. was one of those movies. And I was I was glued to the screen the whole time. I was do it the way they did it, the way they shot it with the handheld cameras was brilliant. With I've never public, seen that with, pu with public enemy playing at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Like, come on, man. <laughs> I've never seen that done well outside of horror before. And this really pulled it off. It felt believable. It felt like you were watching two cops on the job. Like, for real. Yes. Their chemistry was so perfect. Like, it was just such a great movie. Yeah. I, yeah, I love... I'm really glad you watched that one. It's 
it's yeah, it's 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 one of my favorite Jake Gyllenhaal performances, even though he has like ten that I'm obsessed with, and it, and Michael Pena is just. I haven't seen a ton where I'm like really into him, but that's the kind of role that he's just, he gets a little bit of humor. He gets to be kind of, you know, a little hostile at, at times. And then he gets, he's just a like brick of force when he's in his, when he's in the zone, actually being a cop and he's on duty. This guy is like, you just don't fuck with him when he squabbles with the guy in the house. Come on. <laughs> like, he's like, let's go. And he takes all this stuff off. He takes his gun off, puts it on the desk. And the guy's like, I respect you, dude. Like, yeah. Like, and then later down the line, when it comes down to it, that guy's like, hey, don't fuck with those two cops. They're cool. Like, he got down with me. He put his shit down and fought me. Like, respect those guys. I, I love that, man. I, it, more cop movies like that need to happen for sure. Big time, man. Big time. <laughs> yeah. The journey never stops. Always watching movies. Always. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and from all eras, obviously, we like to, we like to just kind of our both of our movie brains are like schizophrenic at times. <laughs> we like to just kind of boom, boom, boom and capture all these different things. Oh, yeah. Um, you had just finished a trilogy as well, right? Oh, boy. Yes, I have. Uh, I watched Angel Has Fallen, the third installment in the Mike Banning trilogy. What a goddamn letdown that. Oh, my God. One of the laziest action movies I've ever seen stupid man that sucks because you 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 actually did you enjoy the first two right yeah yeah i did big time that's that's an, that's annoying as hell that shit happens though man you know obviously godfather 3 is like the big you know just like what was that <laughs> i know but uh yeah that, that sucks man when when the third movie just kind of abandons all the things that made it what it was that's so frustrating well, aaron eckhart's no longer the president which i you know makes sense he had his terms but now morgan freeman's the president but uh, Gerard Butler still has this like camaraderie with him, like they've known each other for years. When in reality, he wasn't that chummy with Morgan Freeman in the past couple movies. There was never that kind of relationship. Yeah. And it's very obvious who the bad guy is from the beginning. It's there's no believable plot twist. It's all pretty predictable. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I don't. Gerard Butler just looked tired. <laughs> like he's done with this. Everyone looked done with this. And uh, Nick Nolte was there for some reason. It was a very weird movie. I did not enjoy it at all. I, I gave it a six. And uh, yeah, I just I hate when a trilogy, you know, taps out like that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, abandons abandons all what made it what it was. It's frustrating. There are very few perfect trilogies out there. Like very few. Yeah, and then and then the ones that like really do master it will tend like Toy Story will ah we'll go ahead and make a fourth one because we we know what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then sometimes you make a fourth movie and it fucks up everything, like Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a, off the top of my head, the only one I can really think of is the Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings trilogies. is pretty much perfect. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, you know, I'll, like I said, not everything's gonna be a winner. But, you know, you got to I had to see it through to the end. It was a trilogy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Especially if you like the first two, you're going to yeah, going to make sure you, you find out what happens. Exactly. And I thought with the title Angel Has Fallen, it was going to have something to do with like Air Force One getting taken over. But no, he's the angel. Ah. <laughs> Gerard Butler is the president's number one guardian angel has fallen. It's a news report in the in the in the movie. And no, nobody would say that. <laughs> Nobody would ever say that. Maybe maybe us on Filmgasm if we're trying to be funny, but yeah, no one on a real news channel would do that. Ridiculous. 
Well, that's pretty much everything I've been up to lately. Any other movies you'd like to point out that you've uh, been watching lately? Oh, yeah. Actually, I um, watched one this morning. Um, uh, Bless Their Little Hearts from 1984. Really, really, really spectacular movie uh, about, a, about an African-American family just making their way um, and just trying their hardest when the father's trying, uh, trying to get a job. Um, their three kids are running around everywhere, like constantly wanting, you know, constantly, you know, wanting father's attention. And he's trying to make things happen. It's a very, very simple film. It's only like an hour and 20 minutes, but it just uh, spoke to me a lot. Just um, the simplicity of, you know, family and fatherhood and motherhood and being a sibling, you know, those just normal things that we all experience in some manner. Uh, there's like something for you in that movie. It's, it's really good. I like it a lot. Right on, man. Glad you enjoyed it. It's uh, it's cool. These these films that you're just like tackling on the Criterion Channel are all st- most of it is stuff I've never even heard of. And yeah, yeah, bless their little hearts is yeah. I mean, it's an '80s film that yeah, you there's no need for anybody to know it didn't make any money. Directed by Billy Woodbury. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, just didn't you know? Yeah, didn't do a whole lot. <laughs> didn't make a lot of money. But um, yeah, it's it's cool. I think you would dig it. It's uh, got really really cool soundtrack. It's all jazzy and um, just yeah, just watching this family live their life. Right on, man. Well, keep on, you know, keep on digging into that channel and give us some, uh, some crazy reviews. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fun, and you know, uh, it's also cool to see, like, Bless Their Little Hearts specifically is a, uh, is a uh, takes place in Watts County, which is like where Minister Society takes place. So it's cool, yeah. like, seeing different perspectives into different areas, and that's like part of the reason I love movies is cultural. You're like learning cultural things, especially when you watch foreign stuff, and that's great. You know, if you can learn and be entertained, what's better than that? For sure. I got two movies in the Netflix through the mail today. Nice. Um, one of them was Big Eyes from 2014. Oh, I never saw that. Uh, is that with Ewan McGregor, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's Big Fish. Oh, Big Fish. I, I haven't seen Big Fish. Big Fish is older, isn't it? Yeah, that's 03. I haven't seen Big Fish yeah. either. Yeah, I, I feel like we should. It's Tim Burton. I know. There's a lot of Burton I haven't watched. It took me forever to watch Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Edward Scissorhands. So, yeah, yeah here we yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big Eyes is a biopic of pop artist Margaret Keene, who was known for her um, yeah, yeah, Big yeah. Eyes paintings. Uh, it's Amy Adams and Christoph Waltz. That's so, right. I, I remember the trailers for that being like, oh, well, they're both great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then the other one is Marshall, where Chadwick Boseman plays U.S. Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall. That's a good movie. <laughs> I'm excited. Chadwick Boseman keeps playing like super like iconic black uh, historical figures. It's kind of hilarious. James ja- Brown. James Brown, Jackie Robinson, Thurgood Marshall. Black Panther. <laughs> Black Panther. <laughs> yeah. The blackest character ever. I mean, yeah, it's like, <laughs> well, it's the first superhero that's like extremely, extremely mainstream that is very positive and has a cool outlook on things. Yeah, and it's played wonderfully by Chadwick Boseman. Oh, for sure. He's a great pick. He, I, he is. He, he's he's one of the best working actors right now. Let's just be honest. I love him as Black Panther, but his greatest performance is Get On Up. Easily. James Brown is, but yeah, he's pretty good at Jackie. And Marshall is good. But yeah, James Brown, that is undoubtedly his most underrated and most most uh, impressive yeah, feat. That yet. film got no attention. It deserved so much more than it got. Yeah, he should have been up for best actor, man. Like, easy. Yeah. That's the shit that, like... That's the shit that bothers me. The Oscars just misses. Like when it's like, oh, there's one. Like there's an opportunity for you to give a nomination to someone of color who actually fucking deserves it. And you don't even pay attention to the movie. You know, like 
those are the issues I think you and I have. We don't really want it to just be like, well, give it to all different kinds of people to be fair. No, give it to who deserves it. Chadwick deserves that shit. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. Oh, well, thank you for continuing to listen to this show because we love doing it, even in these difficult times. And uh, next week, we're doing the 1996 Wes Craven horror classic Scream with a possible special guest. Tune in to find out if we make that work. Until then, I stand by my stance at Twins are Creepy, especially if they're swapping out with their lady friends. See you next Wednesday. Mutants! <laughs>